I got to admit, I have to admit something here. I've never had that many guys tell me I'm looking good. That's just, that is new. And, you know, praise God. It's nice. Uh, no harm, no foul. How are we? Hey, it's good to be with you guys today. I'm excited to be able to open up to, to God's word. We're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 5. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 5. If you need a Bible, you didn't bring one with you, you don't have one, if you just want to put your hand up, we've got an usher in the back. We'd love to be able to put one in your hands. Uh, just put your hand up and we'll do that. As we start out this morning, I want to remind us of something that Paul had told uh, Timothy a couple weeks ago. We looked in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, and, uh, and Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, The church, again, we're not talking about the building, but we're talking about the people. He says, the church is the household of God. This right here is the household. We may not be uh, the family of God. We may not be family by, by birth. But we are adopted into God's family through our personal faith in Jesus Christ. And, and throughout the Bible, we see this as a common thing. That, that the Bible continually talks to the church as being the family of God. That we are a family. See, this church is not some loose uh, social association that we can freely choose to come and go and we can choose to join and, and leave and, and, and we can choose to, to reject or, or choose to be a part of. It's not some loose organization that we have the freedom to choose to do whatever we want. Through our relationship with Jesus, we are members of God's own family. And oftentimes within the church, there becomes this, this kinship, this, this affection. You see this shared duty. You see a love that will uh, happen within the church, uh, with, will happen that we shared among God's family. And oftentimes it can be greater than even that of what we experience in our biological families. And I love, I love that Paul in the Bible uses this description of the church as a family. I love the picture as a family. We do life together as a family. God's our father and, and, and we are a family. And we need to understand this church, we're not a business. The church is not a corporation. It's not a, a society. It's not a, a school. We are a family. We love each other. We look after each other. We take care of one another. We care for each other. And how we treat each other is incredibly important. But unfortunately, what happens within the church family, it's just like in our own families. There's this thing called sin. And sin creeps in and, and enters into the church family. The church isn't all just that Brady Bunch picture where everybody comes together and sings happy songs. And everything works out good at the end of the episode. I mean, this isn't the Brady Bunch here. There's still sin. Sin hurts relationships. Sin creates division. Sin can kill families. Sin can kill churches. Sin leaves countless people hurt and vulnerable in its wake. Now, I don't know what your family looked like, but when I was growing up, I was the youngest of five kids. So I had to learn how to hold my own in a he healthy barrage of, of noogies and, and wedgies and, and wet willies. And I had to learn. And the reality is, within families, there's friction, right? In our families, we have friction. Sometimes there's a little hostility. And here in 1 Timothy chapter 5, uh, Paul is going to address how we are to relate within the church. How we relate to one another. How we relate to each other. 
how we treat each other as, as different people in God's family as a church. Now, I know that for some of you, when we begin to talk about family, it's a, it's a tough subject for you. There's, a, there's, there's some hurts deep inside of you. You know, it's, you've had a, a crummy family life. There's been dysfunction. You haven't seen what this loving and caring family is supposed to look like. And you say, I love the idea of it, but I have no experience of it. I can't tell you what it actually looks like. Can I encourage you today to just hear, to just listen? Because God, God is our father. And you might have had a horrible father. You might have had an abusive father. You might have had an absent father. But God is our perfect father. God is your perfect father. You want to know what it's like to be loved by a loving and a good dad? Look at God. Look at God. Learn from what the Bible says about how he cares for you, how he loves you, how he watches after you. You want to know what it means to be a, a godly husband, a godly wife, a godly husband, a, a daughter, a godly son. You want to know what it means to be, to have a godly family? Let's just listen to God's word because God's word is going to tell us this is how we do it. This is how we live in a godly family. This is what the family should operate like. So we're in first Timothy chapter five, and I'm going to read verses one through 16. And it says this, it says, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. You see, he's talking and he's relating to the church in, in terms of family. He says, honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is less than 60 years of age, having been the, husband, or the wife of one husband and having a reputation of good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, has devoted herself to every good work, but refused to enroll younger widows. For when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides, besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. And then he summarizes and says, If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that they may be cared for those who are truly widows. That is God's word for us today. Let's pray. God, we do thank you for this opportunity uh, to meet together as your family. 
God, every one of us are here today. And those of us that that you've called to be uh, into a relationship that we have surrendered to you, we are your family. And God, as we open up your word, God, I pray as our Father that you would speak to us individually. Lord, that you know what's gone on this past week and you know what we need to hear today. So God, I pray that your spirit would rest on every one of us and that you would speak to us individually and that you would draw us to yourself. God, I pray as we look at this text and we say, man, it's kind of weird. It's talking about widows and all these different things. Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand what it is that we are supposed to learn from this today. God, we love you and we praise you and we plead for your presence with us right now. In your name, amen. So Paul's going to start out, and the first thing he's going to point out is he's going to say there's supposed to be honor amongst God's family. First things first, he says there should be honor amongst God's family. We're to deal respectfully with God's family. We're to give honor to those within the family. He starts out and he tells Timothy in in verse 1. He says, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Now this word rebuke here kind of sounds kind of harsh. What it means is it means to express a strong disapproval. Apparently, there was some sort of issue in the early church in Ephesus. The younger men were getting frustrated by the older men. Does that happen today still? We don't know why. It could be any number of reasons. But the young men, specifically Timothy, was getting frustrated with the older men. Last week, Nate taught through uh, chapter 4 of 1 Timothy and, and shared verse 12. And, and Paul encourages Timothy in verse 12. He says, do not let anyone despise you for your youth. And now Paul is reminding Timothy, don't be prideful about it either. You see, we shouldn't shouldn't, uh, be be despised for our youth, but we also shouldn't be prideful about it. You see, in every generation in the history of the world, each generation, you tell me if this is true, each generation acts as if history started the day that they were born. And they function as if their generation is the only generation who is relevant. Is this the way our society works? I mean, so then you add education, you add a position of leadership, and that leads to arrogance, causing young men to interact with older men without the proper respect or without the proper dignity. And even, even, Paul is saying, even, even if the older men are in sin and they aren't worthy of respect, Paul is telling Timothy that we are to encourage him as we would encourage a father. He says to treat older men as you would your father. Now, there's something that inter- interesting that happens in every parent-child relationship. And, and that's at some point, the child goes from being a child to being a peer. Okay? If you're a parent, this is something you need to recognize and you need to remember. At some point, your child will not be your little baby forever. I used to, it used to drive me crazy. I'd see parents with a, with a five, six-year-old and, oh, that's my little baby. It's not your baby. It's a school-age kid. But then my baby turned four, and I can't stop calling him my baby. But your child will not be your little baby forever, right? Older parents, you've got kids growing up. They're not your little baby forever. I mean, if, if my mom were to come and pull out the wooden spoon, I mean, we'd have issues, right? It wouldn't turn out good for either one of us, Okay. So at some point, our children grow up and they become our peers. And as a, as a peer, a, a son or a daughter, uh, they have a right to hold their, their parents accountable, to, to point out sin in their life of their parents. And this is, actually, this is actually a good thing. I mean, dads, moms, 
This should be our goal. This should be our goal. That we would raise our children and they would grow up to be godly men and women. And not just little boys, not just little girls who do everything they're told. We want to raise up godly men and women who can lead. I mean, my goal for myself is, is I look at all those kids that we have. My goal is that they'd be greater and more righteous than I ever was. That they would be better Christians, better leaders, better men than I ever was. Shouldn't that be the goal as parents? That we would raise our kids to be better even than we were? But that doesn't mean that we have to be a jerk when we are addressing older men. I mean, remember, re- remember the Ten Commandments. The Fifth Commandment says what? The Fifth Commandment. Honor your father and mother. You see, there's no age limit to that commandment. Your father and mother are still your father and mother, even after you reach adulthood. And we are still expected to honor them. So how do we treat older men in the church? We, we treat them as fathers, respectfully, with honor. And likewise, second thing Timothy says, as he says, to treat younger men as brothers. Paul says that we treat younger men as brothers. Now, how many of you in here are, 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 are a younger brother? How many of you? A few of you in here are younger brothers? You were the wedgie receiver, not the wedgie giver, right? Well, I told you I was the youngest of five kids, and I remember there's, there's a time when my brother was, was, was playing, and they had, we got the original 8-bit Nintendo. You remember the original? I mean, it was, it was the good stuff, right? And my brother had his friends over, and they're playing, they're playing the original Nintendo, and I don't know what the game they're playing. And, and I just, he, my brother's eight years older than I was, and I thought he was, I thought he was the stuff. So I remember his friends are there, and I'm kind of sitting in the background trying to watch and trying to hang out with them. And again, you're the younger brother. So what my brother did with his friends is they all took their belts off and they hogtied me. They tied my, my, my hands and my legs together behind my back. And they carried me up and they put me headfirst in the garbage can. And then they put the lid on and they left me there for like a half an hour. Right? I mean, that's, that's what big brothers do, right? Anybody else experience any of that? Or am I the only one? You just aren't willing. Uh, we got one person who's honest. That was my life. As the youngest of five kids, life, you know, the reality is life sure seems like it's better on top of the food chain. Uh, you know, just, just saying it seems better on top of the food chain. And, uh, but, but that's not necessarily good. That's not necessarily the way it's supposed to be. You see, in the family of God, the older brothers, they don't orchestrate pain and, and trouble for the younger brothers. Rather, the older brothers are supposed to act as guides through a minefield. They, they, they help to guide the younger, mothers, uh, younger brothers to avoid the explosiveness of sin. From their pain, from their mistakes, from their missteps, they lovingly cry out to the younger brothers, Hey, hey, don't step there. That looks safe, but it's not. I mean, this is what older brothers are supposed to do. This is what the, the, the family of God, this is how brothers are supposed to interact with one another. Younger brothers, you know what they would do well? They would do well to look at the older brothers and look at their scars and look at the wounds and say, man, those are warnings that we should heed to say, don't follow in the same, don't, don't make the same mistakes. Men, women, let me ask you this question. What minefields have you been through? What scars do you bear? Are you so ashamed of your scars that you're unwilling 
that you're unwilling to, to let others be prevented from that same minefield? Are you ashamed uh, of your scars that you're going to let somebody else walk through that same minefield to experience the same pain, the same destruction that you went through? No. No. Older brothers, we look and we say, this is where I've been. This is what I've seen causes this. And we're supposed to share and guide the younger brothers through that so they don't end up with the same scars, the same hurts, the same pains. Next, Paul says in verse 2 that we are to treat older women as mothers. Now, Paul knows treating older women as mothers would resonate with Timothy because Timothy was raised to love Jesus by his grandmother, uh, Lois, and his, and his mother, Eunice. See, Paul is saying that mothers are to be respected. They're to be listened to. They're to be loved. This doesn't mean that they're exempt from, from, from uh, having sin identified in their life and to being held accountable. What it does mean is that when it is necessary to admonish an older woman, that we should do so as a, uh, with, with care and concern. You don't pick out petty differences uh, with the women who did all these things for you. I mean, this is a woman who gave birth to you. This is a woman who brought you into the world. This is a woman who raised you, who stayed up all night with you when you were sick, who took you to your baseball games, who made you your favorite dinners. You don't address her in a careless manner. See, if you're going to confront the woman who did all of that in your life, you better, you better approach her delicately, delicately with wisdom and humility. I mean, after all, you know, there's that mother saying, I brought you into this world and I can take you out. I got no problem with a mom saying that. I got no problem with that. So approach your mom with, with, with honor and respect. And lastly, Paul says, verse 2, to treat younger women as sisters. See, any brother who cares for his sister He's going to care for her. He's going to protect her. He's going to love her. He's going to look after her. And, and, and men, this is how we should relate to the women of the church. We look after them. We care for them. We protect them. And the key, the key phrase in this is Paul says, in all purity. Both in a conformity to God's moral law, but specifically in regards to sexual purity. And the Old Testament, brothers of the Old Testament, they took serious the protection of their sister's sexual purity. It was incredibly serious and important to them. I mean, we have the story from Genesis 34, where, where Dinah, Dinah's brothers, Simeon and Levi, they, they took their swords to avenge the men of the city who had raped her. I mean, this is a big deal. The protection of our sexual purity, of our sister's, of Christ should be of equal concern to Christian men as it would be if they were their own sisters. You see, what happens is, is when, when we allow sexual sin specifically within the church, it begins to destroy the church. It destroys ministries. It destroys families. And, and, and Paul is trying to make the point, hey, men, the, the, these women around you, they're not, if she's not your bride, she's your sister. That changes the way that you look at them. At least it should. I mean, I love my sisters. I've got three of them. I love them. But there's a different relationship with them. And Paul's saying this is the way it should be within the church. If she's not your bride, she's your sister. That should change the way that we look at them. You know, oftentimes there's, there's contention between the older generation and the younger generation. 
the, the older, you know, the younger generation says, well, that older generation, they are so old school. They're so traditional. They're boring. The older generation says, well, yeah, yeah you know, that younger generation, they're, they're so idealistic. They're so uh, impractical and, and, and unrealistic. I mean, I mean, come on, what are we going to do? There becomes this contention between older generation and the younger generation. Younger folks in here today. Ultimately, do you know what the older folks want? You know what the older generation wants from the younger generation? They want respect. They want respect. They don't want to. Uh, they don't want to hold us from chasing our dreams. They just. They just want uh, to be respected. They want for their opinion to matter. They want for their experiences to be helpful. And you older generation folks in here today, you know what the younger generation wants? They want your respect. They want to be taken seriously. They want to be taken seriously and to be trusted with influence and with opportunities. This is why I'm so excited and thankful here at Restoration Church that in 10 months old, God has given us a generationally diverse church. I love that we have, we have young singles in the church and we have, we, have, we have parents and families and then we have families that are in, in, in the empty nesters and we even have great-grandparents here. I love that in 10 months, God has allowed us to be generationally diverse. Younger folks, praise God you are here. Younger generation, we need you here. And you older folks here today, we need you here as well. We need every one of us here. We need all of us to respect each other and work together to advance the gospel, to advance the mission of the church through Restoration Church. It takes every one of us working together with a common goal of knowing Christ and making Christ known. So first, Paul focused on addressing how we are to honor one another amongst the church. But next, what Paul's going to do is he's going to address how we treat and honor widows and, and those, those in need. Look at verse 3. Paul says, honor the widows who are truly widows. Number two for us this morning is we're to honor the widows and those in need. Now, what Paul's doing is Paul's addressing how the widows were to be treated. And, and specifically, this is an issue that was addressing the, the church in Ephesus, the early, the early church. Apparently, there were a lot of widows. There were Christian women in the church, and their husbands were dying, leaving them as widows. And so this is the, the problem that, that Paul's trying to address. Now, the widows, what they represent is they represent a, a marginalized group, a, a group of people that were vulnerable. They were the most needy in their society. I mean, taking care of these widows was something that was the church should not overlook. It was significant for the church to be involved in. That's why James one twenty seven, James, Jesus' brother, says, Pure religion and undefiled for God the Father is this, to take care of the orphans and the widows and their affliction. Now, in our culture, the equivalent of widows would be single mothers. The reality is in our society, in our culture, 43%, 43% of kids are going to go to bed without their father in the home. 43% of these kids are being raised without dad in the picture. The number of single moms is astronomical. It is absolutely crazy. 
The issue of widowhood was a problem in the early church. And the issue of single mothers is a problem in our current day. And both single mothers and widows have the same variables, the same needs. So Paul's going to address how we are to help those in needs. And he says we are to honor those who are in need. And what we're going to see is while this text implores us and challenges us and tells us we are to honor those in need, we are also going to see that, that there is a financial help that, that Paul's talking about, that Timothy is supposed to provide, the church is supposed to provide for these widows. There is a financial help uh, that the church would be able to provide. There was some sort of list of widows, and they had this list of widows, and if the widow was on the list, then the church would help to provide their basic needs of food and shelter and clothing. And this was part of what the church, part of the mission of the church was supposed to do, was to provide these needs. Now, this is a clear command from the Bible. Christians, the, the, the church, the, the, the family of God, we are to be involved in what we would call mercy ministry. We are to be involved in meeting the needs of the needy and the poor around us. But before we give to those in need, before we support the widows, we need to look and see in this passage that Paul lays out several guidelines. He puts some guidelines in place for helping those in need. Now, I know some of you will say, well, you know, the Bible seems a little discriminatory, right? And we will look and say, well, well, the Bible is discriminating who it says we're supposed to help. I mean, that doesn't seem right. Well, yeah. God gives us uh, guidelines to help us to be good stewards of the resources that he is providing for us. We are to be wise with God's resources. We are to discriminate. We are to evaluate between real need and false need. We're supposed to evaluate between, between uh, real need and, and consequence of sin. And so absolutely, we're going to see that the Bible says we are to discriminate. We don't discriminate based on all those things that we think of discrimination. I mean, the family of God is, is welcome to people of every, of every ethnicity, uh, whether you're rich or poor, black, white, brown, purple, blue, whatever color you might be. The church of God, the family of God is here for you. But let's look and see how it says we're supposed to discriminate. Paul says in verses 3 and 4, he says, Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. See, the first thing that Paul says is we're to determine responsibility. We are to determine responsibility. He says, before the burden of providing for the widow goes to the church, the Bible assumes that the, the family will take care of its own. There is an assumption that Paul is making that the family is going to provide for its own. Those in need should first look to assistance from within their own family. And this is a, this is a specific individual challenge and responsibility that Paul is giving to every one of us in here. Every one of us should be challenged by this because speaking specifically about your parents, it says that we learn to show godliness in our, in our homes by making some returns to our parents. What this means is that, that your parents, your mom, your dad, they raised you. They took care of you. They changed your diapers. They, they did all of this. And part of the way that we honor our parents is by helping and caring for them in their older years. I know there are several of you in here who you're doing this very thing. You do this very thing with your mother, your father. 
and uh, uh, you, you, you're, you're giving sacrificially, you're, you're giving personally, you're giving, you're giving financially, you're giving spiritually, and, and you're being taxed because you are taking care of your, your parent. Praise God you're doing that. Praise God you're doing that. That is a picture of, of what Paul's talking about. And I know, again, there's some of you in here today, and you're going to struggle with this idea. You had abusive parents. You had absent parents. Your family is a place of heartache and pain. And, and caring for needy family members, caring for an aging parent, hardly seems like repayment. The kind of repayment that you'd want to give them is a big kick in the pants because that would feel like it vindicates a little bit of, of the pain that you've experienced. Yet God still calls us to this. Yet God still calls us to this. If nothing else, you can at least honor your parent for being your source of life. God will lead you to what you should do regarding this situation when you face it. But we are still called, even if it's difficult, to do this. Regarding our personal responsibility to provide for our families, Paul becomes very pointed in verse 8. In verse 8, Paul says, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. See, this is a warning to every one of us. This is a warning that Christians who refuse to to take care of their families, who refuse to provide for their families, they are in danger of falling away from their faith in Jesus Christ. See, this is one of the ways in which we live out our faith. I mean, there's those Christians who will say with their mouth, they'll say all the right Christian words, I believe in Jesus, and, and I surrender to Jesus, and I follow Jesus. But their life doesn't show it. Paul's saying for those of us that we, 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 we claim to be Christians, one of the ways that we show it in our lives is by taking care of our family, by providing for our families. And if we don't do that, then we can be worse than an unbeliever. So Paul is saying that the primary responsibility for taking care of the widows and those in need is the immediate, is, is the immediate family. And secondary, if there's no immediate family, if there's no family there to provide for the widow or for those in need, then it would be on the church to help provide those resources. The church's responsibility was to help those widows who were truly in need, who were alone without family to help. Paul continues and says in verse 5 and 6, he says, She who is truly a widow left all alone has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Here, Paul's going to say we're supposed to filter candidates. We're supposed to filter the candidates who need support from the church. And Paul, what he's doing is he's giving us a contrasting view of of different types of widows. He's saying there's, there's one widow who sets her hope on God, and she continues seeking God and pursuing God day and night and, and all the time, constantly. He's saying she truly worships God and desires a living and intimate relationship with God. But on the other side, Paul says there's a widow who is self-indulgent. That means that she lives uh, uh, for herself. She's pursuing her own desires, her own passions. She is seeking her own pleasure. And Paul says she is spiritually dead. Even though she's living, she is spiritually dead. Now, I know, I know there are some Christians in there. When we start talking about filtering candidates and, 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 and being uh, 
discriminative about who we support and who we help and who we provide for. I know there are some Christians in the world and they believe, well, no, the church, you know, the church can't discriminate. The church is all about love, right? And so we're supposed to help everybody, everybody who comes to the church needing help. Well, it doesn't matter. We're supposed to love everybody and we're supposed to help and provide resources for everybody. We can't, regardless of their circumstance, it's our Christian responsibility to do this. But what we're going to see is the Bible right here is being discriminative. The Bible, you need to know this. You need to know that the Bible discriminates. You need to know that, 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 that God discriminates. See, not everybody, not everybody's going to go to heaven. Discrimination. Not everybody's going to have their sins forgiven. Discrimination. Not everybody is going to go to heaven. God discriminates, does he not? The Bible says that our priority is on those who are seeking the Lord, not just anybody who has a need. See, God's not going to fund sin. When we're talking about the widow who is self-indulgent, he's saying we're not, the church is not going to fund sin. We can't, the, the, can't, the church can't do that. And some folks struggle with this and say, well, you know, no, we're, you know, we're, we're supposed to love everybody. And, and, you know, there's, there's churches that have soup kitchens and they feed all sorts of people. And I'm not saying don't feed people. That's not what we're saying. We're saying work on their soul. What's more important than just extending somebody's life is their soul. And, and we shouldn't be in a point of just saying, oh, I'm going to give you all of this and so you can extend your life. No, we're more concerned about somebody's soul than we are the, the, their, their belly. I mean, that is, that is, that is the, the, the key that Paul's saying. We're more concerned about their soul than we are their, 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 their physical life. He's saying, let's work on their soul. Let's work on their holiness. Let's work on their godliness. I mean, God's mission for us as a church isn't just to extend people's life. God's mission for us is to see them get eternal life. And, and so as we do these things, we don't just be uh, an empty slate that says, we'll give to anybody. No, we're going to give for the purpose of helping people grow in godliness. We're going to give the purpose of helping them know Jesus as their Savior. We're going to give them the purpose of, uh, 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 of, of seeking them and pushing and encouraging them to grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. So there's a filtering process. Paul says, continues in verse 9 and 10. He says, let a woman be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, has devoted herself to every good work. He's saying this is the widow that she should help. See, there's a filtering process. There's a godliness that he says we're to look for, that, that, that we provide this ongoing support for. Paul says you help the godly woman. Now, let me run on, on a rabbit trail real quick right here. You know, I love that, that Paul describes here. He says this is what good works is. He says in verse 10, good works, if she has brought up children, she has shown hospitality, she has washed the feet of the saints, she has cared for the afflicted, she has devoted herself to every good work. I want you to notice how simple good works are. Sometimes we have this idea that good works, you know, if we're going to be good Christians and we're going to do good works, we have this, this grandiose view of what good works are. You know, if I'm going to be a good person, that means I'm going to go to some third world country and I'm going to solve all of their disease issues and I'm going to solve all their water issues. And that is a good work, right? No, Paul is saying, you know what a good work is? It is raising kids faithfully. It is praying. It is showing hospitality. 
It's caring for the sick. See how unsensational good works really are? It's a normal thing. It is doing normal daily things well. It is kids. It is doing your chores well. It is, it is it, it wives making dinner, husbands making dinner and doing it well. It is doing your job and doing it well. Those are our good works. Isn't it great to know? Every one of us can attain these things. It's not some big grandose thing. It is doing everyday normal things and doing them well for the glory of God. So Paul says we are to filter those we help. Let me tell you why it's important that we filter those who help. I worked at, you guys know, I worked at Madison House for, for seven years. And it was, it was always interesting as Madison House, we were able to, to meet a lot of needs for people in the community. And there was this one day I took a phone call from, from, uh, from a gal. And she says, hey, um, you know, is this Madison House? And I said, yes, this is Madison House. And she said, good, I need 50 bucks. Okay. Well, what do you need 50 bucks for? Well, that's none of your business. What? Well, it's none of your business. You don't need to know what I need money for. You just need to give me money because you're the Christian organization. Ah, you know, that's not really the way, you know, that we work. You know, uh, we need to know a little bit more. And then she proceeded to cuss me out on the phone. She calls and says, you're going to give me 50 bucks. And I said, no, that's not the way it works. And, And she cussed me out for 45 seconds before I finally said this conversation is going to be over now. You see, we have to have a filtering process. We, we, we have to. She's not, looking, she's not looking to care about her soul. <laughs> I don't know what she wanted the money for. I never got that out of her. But she was pretty upset that we had a filtering process that we wouldn't just give to anybody. Oh, man, really. Last thing to look at. Paul's going to differentiate between older widows and younger widows. And he's specifically going to deal with the younger widows. Look at verse 9 with me. Paul says, let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age. Now, Paul says that an older widow. Notice I'm just saying older widow. I'm not saying old because I know some of you are approaching that age. It's an older widow. Uh, If there's an older widow, they're supposed to be added to the list. Now, you see, as I mentioned, there was this list of widows that the church had. And, and, if, and if there was a widow that was added to this list, there was an expectation on the widow. She'd be added to the list, and the church would help to provide resources for her. In response, the, the woman would be involved in the ministry of the church. She would help uh, and serve the church. It was kind of the expectation. Hey, this is how it's going to work. We'll provide resources, and you, you, you'll be a blessing to the church, and this is how it's going to work. And Paul is saying that uh, the widow that should be added to the list is a widow who is older in life, who is probably not going to be able to go and work for a long time, probably not going to go get married again. He's saying, this is a woman you should add to the list. In contrast, he says in verse 11, he says, but refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. This can be a, a little bit confusing. Let me summarize what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, don't add young widows to the list. Don't add young widows to the list. Because when they make that commitment to say, I will serve the church and I'll be involved in the church, what's going to happen is these young widows, you know, they're going to they're gonna be busy. And they're going to be, you know, working to raise their kids and working on work their job and paying the bills. They're going to get tired. And pretty soon that young widow is going to get lonely. 
And pretty soon she's going to have uh, some of that passion for, 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 for love and affection. And she's going to desire that. And, and what's going to happen is she's going to choose marriage over that commitment she made to the church to love and to serve and, and be involved in the church. And what can happen, and this is a challenge to you younger folks in here today, what can happen is, is that young widow, she can be so consumed with wanting that love and that affection, so consumed with wanting to be married, that they begin to lower their standards. And, and what happens is, is, unfortunately, there are some, some men who will, fall, who, who will prey on, on, on vulnerable women. They will prey on women who are seeking affection, who are seeking uh, attention, and they take advantage of those women. And so then you see this, this, this young Christian woman who she's no longer with a Christian man, and now she's walking away from the church because she's been led away because she was desiring love and, and attention. And, and it says that she would, she would turn back on the, on the commitment she had made to the church. Paul says in verse 13, besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. So, so, so there's these young women. And this is actually a word for, for all of us in here, for men, for women, for teenagers, for old, for young. See, what happens is they get tired. They get overwhelmed. And, and what happens when we get tired and overwhelmed is we start getting idle. We start pulling back and we become idle. Not active, not working, not busy, just idle. And as soon as they start getting idle, they start getting involved in other people's business. You see, Paul is saying there's a, a, there's a connection between idleness and sin. And there's absolutely a connection between the two, between idleness and sin. Titus 2 says that young women, they should be busy as wives. They should be busy as mothers. They should be focused on those things so that they don't have time to be busybodies, so they don't have time to, to be idle, so they don't have time to be Facebook stalkers, so they don't have time to, 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 to be so busy and consumed with everybody else's lives that they're not paying attention to what's going on in their own. Now, let me just ask, how many mothers in here can think back to when you were a young mother? How many of you would say, man, I didn't even have time for a friend. I didn't have time to, I mean, when you think back to, um, I think to the example of my wife, you know, we've got all these kids and, and, and I love my wife. And she has become a good example on, on being busy. She's so busy loving me and taking care of our house and raising our kids that there are days when I come home and she just wants five minutes of silence in the bathroom so she can brush her teeth without kids banging at the door. I mean, I mean, when we're busy, when we're, when we're pursuing the things that God has, has called us to, we don't have time to be idle. We don't have time to be gossipers. We don't have time to be busybodies. And this is what Paul's saying. Paul's saying that we're supposed to, uh, God wants us to recognize and live responsibly, to use our time wisely, to recognize the opportunities of influence that God has given us. Because if we're pursuing the things of the Lord, if we're pursuing and, and fulfilling the responsibilities that God has placed before us as husband, as, as wife, as mother, as, as father, as, as friend, as church member, and when we're pursuing these things, we don't have time to get into idle gossip. And, and idle busybodiness. So Paul's advice to the young widows is this. He says, don't add the young widows to the list. Verse 14, he says, I would have younger widows to marry, to bear children, to manage households, and to give the adversary no occasion 
for slander. Seeing young widows, it's not a bad thing that you desire affection. It's not a bad thing. Don't try and suppress it. Seek and set those standards. And this is where, as, as, as godly men, this is where we want to look, and we want to look after our younger sisters. We want to look after these, the, these young widows, these young single ladies. We want to point them in the direction and say, hey, that man right there, he's not a good man. He doesn't have your best interest at heart. He's not pursuing the Lord. We want to look and see these single ladies around us and say, you know, here's a guy that you should pursue. Here's a guy that you should want to spend time with. Christian men, that's our responsibility. We have younger sisters. We're supposed to love them and point them and, and help them find the right kind of guy. I mean, that's what we do for our sisters, right? And that's what we're supposed to do within the church. So what do we learn about this passage? I'll tell you, we learn a lot about honor. We learn a lot about honor. That God's desire is that there would be honor amongst the church. That we would honor one another. That generations would honor generations. That we, would, uh, that we would honor the, the, the less fortunate. You know, one of the things I, I think that we have the temptation to do is sometimes we want to patronize those in need. Sometimes we want to we ha- have, a, have a pity over those that, that need resources. But what Paul is saying is there's no pity for them. In fact, I think as Paul uh, tries to contrast these two widows, the one who is pursuing God and the one who is self-indulgent, You know, that self-indulgent widow, she looks on the outside, she has it all put together. She looks like she has a, she has the right clothes. She has, she has, she, she looks like she has it all together. But I would say that the woman who may be poor, who may be wearing hand-me-downs, she's probably 10 times more godly than the other one. And Paul's saying, hey, don't patronize those in need. Honor them. Love them. Amen. As the worship team comes forward, let's, uh, let's close in prayer. God, as we are uh, just looking at this passage and saying, God, what is it you want to share with us today? God, I just, I wonder what would happen if there was a mutual honor and respect amongst the church. God, I wonder what would happen if the older generations would take the younger generation under their wings. If the excitement and the idealism of the young was joined with the hindsight and the wisdom of the older. God, I wonder what would happen if if all of us had a common vision of God's kingdom work on this earth through the church. God, help us to see that every one of us brings value to the church and to the mission. God, I pray that you would help us to love and honor and respect one another. God, I pray for the young men and women in here that they would seek out the older generation and say, hey, would you take me under your wing? Would you teach me and and shape me? And God, I pray for the older generation that they would take that on themselves to seek out the younger ones and say, hey, let me encourage you. Let me build you up. Let me share with you the wisdom that I've gained. God, and I wonder what would happen if we looked around to those of us, to, to those in need. God, I pray that you would break our hearts for what breaks yours. God, I pray that we would understand James 1.27, that pure religion and undefiled before you is taking care of those in need. God, I pray that you would speak to us individually and as a church, that we would hear your call to give help, to give our time to help the helpless. 
that we would hear your call to include the helpless in our financial plans. God, I pray that you would help us to sort these things out in our lives. I pray that we would find peace, but also, God, that we would be unsettled with being complacent in our lives. And God, as we prepare now to respond to your word this morning through worship, God, I pray that you would meet us in this place. God, I pray that you would pour out our spirit and you would refresh our hearts. God, help us to get lost in your amazing love and amazing grace. And as we head into these next couple of worship songs, Lord, I pray that you would allow us just to put all the distractions out of our minds and that we would just empty ourselves before you, that we would call out and praise and worship you and that you would speak to us in this place. God, we love you and we praise you. And we ask this in your holy and precious name. Amen.